Well, good evening to everyone. It's really great to be together on another Wednesday evening. It's great to see everyone out this evening. It's great to see Andrew and Kayla here with us as they made the drive from Texas last couple of days. It's good to see them here with us. Last Wednesday evening, the Lord blessed us from His world by giving us a little snow to look at as we came to church. Again, this evening, as we come out of Trinity, we saw some deer right there in the middle of Trinity, and we were grateful uh, to see part of the Lord's creation again uh, this evening. We'll be opening up our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 1. I invite you to please turn over uh, to that great book, Ezra Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. We will be most likely bringing our last in a series of lessons on prayer. We wanted to focus Wednesday nights as we began this year, January and February. I uh, wanted to focus on prayer. We've tried to look at principles of prayer. We've also tried to see some examples of prayer. And this will be kind of a combination of, of both uh, this evening. So before we get into our, our lesson together, let's bow for prayer. Oh, gracious Lord, we are so humbled and we're so thankful that we can call upon you as our Father, and we're thankful for this time this evening. We ask, Father, that you would open up our hearts and minds as we open up your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to grow in our tremendous respect for you and your word, and help us, Father, to grow in our desire and our hunger to know your mind. Lord, we're thankful for everyone who is studying your word this evening in our classes and across our great brotherhood. Bless us, Father, in our endeavors. Help us, Father, to be strengthened as we meet together this evening. Lord, bless all those on our hearts who are not feeling well. Bless all those, Father, and help them, Father, and bring them back to a speedy recovery uh, as uh, you look over them, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would always bless our congregation here, bless us with a knowledge of your word, bless us, Father, as we pray, bless us as we lean upon your wisdom. Bless us, Father, as we seek to be more like you, be more loving like you. Bless us, Father, uh, if it be your will. Bless us with unity. Bless us, Father, with uh, greater efforts and greater effectiveness as we seek to spread your word throughout the community and throughout the world. Father, as we study prayer, we pray that each of us will want to uh, speak to you more and come to you more and more in prayer. We pray, Father, that we may become people of faith and trust. Help us, Father, to depend upon thee as we know we ought. 
Lord, we're, we're grateful for the tremendous uh, thought of heaven up above, uh, to be at home with you forever and ever, Father. That is our greatest desire. Help us to so live, Father, and help us to uh, reach others that they may have this hope as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will first read from Nehemiah 1, and then we'll give a little uh, background, and then we will make two huge um, points, and then I want you to respond uh, to what we say. So we've got a lot of ground to recover, to uh, cover. Let's just start with a simple reading of Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 together. Nehemiah 1, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Nehemiah 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Keslev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the the province, who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and great reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your dispersed be under the Father's skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Okay, let's give just a quick background. You remember that Nehemiah led the third wave of people back to um, Judea, back to Jerusalem. The people of God had been exiled to the land of Babylon, which became the land of Persia over a course of time. And God had promised you will spend 70 years in captivity, but then slowly, after those 70 years, 
piece by piece I will bring my people back. And that's exactly what happened. In 536 B.C., under the leadership of a man by the name of Zerubbabel, the people began to come back. And you can see that from the book of Ezra, if you want to note this just right quick. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 8. You'll see that. Ezra 3 and verse 8. In other passages, but that would be one to consider. And then... That was in 536 B.C. About 457 B.C., a second wave of people came under the leadership of Ezra. Ezra. And the goals of Zerubbabel and Ezra was to establish and rebuild the house of God, the temple there in Jerusalem, and also to restore the religion of the people restore their faith. The uh, passage on Ezra leading people back is Ezra chapter 6, all throughout that chapter. And then at 444 B.C., and this brings us to our chapter here, Nehemiah, it grew in his heart that he needed to go back and help repair the city of Jerusalem itself. And so three waves of people going back over, over a number of years. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar first came upon the city about 606 B.C. And so from 606 B.C. all the way down to 536 B.C. when Zerubbabel first headed back, that's about 70 years. Jeremiah had, had said... Jeremiah chapters 25, 12 and 13, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, and other places that God's people would spend about 70 years uh, in the captivity. So here Nehemiah is. And Nehemiah had grown up knowing that his people were in exile and that his um, original home of his people uh, was not in good shape. But it was his hope, it was his hope that perhaps he would hear some news that not only was the temple restored and the religion restored, but also that maybe the city itself um, was starting to be rebuilt. But he will find out here that that's not the case. In fact, he will find out that the people are very discouraged. Discouraged because there was a lot of opposition toward restoring the Jewish people there. And so that's just a little bit of background. There's a lot more to these books than that, but it's just a little bit of background. Now, two main ideas I want to look at with you. I want us to see this man, Nehemiah, who is praying, and then I want us to look at the prayer itself. Okay. So let's think about the kind of man here who is leading uh, this great prayer here that starts in about verses 4 and 5 of Nehemiah 1. What about this man, uh, Nehemiah? Okay. Now, I want you to notice that he is a man who truly cares. He truly cares. The great problem in the world is that people are indifferent. They're indifferent. It's like the priest and the Levite that Jesus talks about in his parable of the Good Samaritan. They were not evil people. 
maybe not even hateful people, but they were indifferent to the one who had been injured on the side of the road. But Nehemiah wasn't that way. He is a man who truly cared. First of all, notice that he cared enough to ask. Notice here in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. They had been there. They had been to, to Judea, to Jerusalem. And now they're back here in, in Persia, and they're in the presence of uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. And so now they have come back, and Nehemiah wants to know what is going on at home. Okay. So he cared enough to ask. Cared enough to ask. You know, some folks don't want to know. They live by the ideal that what I don't know can't hurt me. But Nehemiah wanted to know about his people. Sometimes people don't want to know because information brings obligation. So if you don't know about it, then you're not going to be obligated toward it. But Nehemiah, he truly cared about what was going on with God's plans, God's uh, strategies, and God's people. So he cared enough to ask. To communicate with people. And, you know, some people don't want to know because it's too painful to know. And if you notice here in chapter 1, verse 3, it is a, it's a serious situation. The report is that there's a remnant there, chapter 1 here, verse 3, there's a remnant. There's not a whole lot of people inhabiting Jerusalem, Judea. Even after all these years, you know, the, the return began several years before Nehemiah's time here. But even after all these years, there's not a great flood of people there. There's a remnant there. And the city is in ruins. Okay, the gates have been burned. Nobody's working on them. It's hard for anything real to take place in that city. And the people are in reproach. The opposition to, to God, the opposition to God's plans are being mocked. And the people are just in great shame and reproach. And so sometimes people don't ask because it's just too painful to hear the news. But nonetheless, Nehemiah, he cared enough to ask. Also, think about this. He cared enough to leave this position of cupbearer. This was a very important position in the days of these kings. As you know, he protected the king. He was, at the, he was in the king's presence all the time. He protected the king from attacks, attacks through poison of the food, and he was in the king's presence. He had a great opportunity uh, to influence the king for good or for bad. But a cupbearer had a very responsible position. And since he had a responsible position, then the kingdom was going to protect not only the king, but also the cupbearer. Nehemiah didn't lack for anything. He had this position. But he cared enough to leave this position of security and comfort and go back to help uh, his people. And so we can see he's a man who truly cares. This is... This is uh, the uh, this is the background of 
really good prayer. Good prayer comes out of true compassion. And this is the man, Nehemiah. So he cared enough to ask about things, and he cared enough to leave his position of comfort. But we also see here that he cared enough to really feel. He sincerely felt for the plight. It wasn't just a duty. He wasn't just being told or commissioned by somebody important to go and help, help rebuild a city. This was his people. And we notice here in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, and I wept, and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so we can see he truly cared. A lot of people have said over the years that what causes tears is an index to your character. What, what causes grief to your life tells everything about you. And this is certainly true of this man. He cared enough that it affected him deeply. And he sat down. And he didn't have a moment of crying. He cried for days. And he mourned for days. And he prayed uh, for days. And we know that Paul and Jeremiah and Jesus himself also were men of tears. And it tells a lot uh, about a person. And so he sat down. Someone has said he sat down to weep. He knelt down to pray. And he got up to work. Let's try to remember that. He sat down to weep. He knelt down to pray. And he got up to work. And that's the sum of who we are to be before our God. And so notice the man here who is praying, he's a man who cared, but also notice he's a man who had great faith. He's a man who had great faith. There are many times where in the book of Nehemiah you are reading about Nehemiah and others praying. You've got it right here in chapter 1, but notice also in chapter 2, in verse number uh, 4, and the king says, what are you requ- requesting? And before Nehemiah answered, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. But also you find prayer all throughout uh, the book. If you look at Nehemiah 4, and verse number 9, says, and we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. Notice in chapter 4 also, verse 4, they are praying, saying, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Okay. So notice him praying there in chapter 4. And then notice also, in chapter uh, 6 and verse 14, they pray against these uh, enemies. Uh, chapter 6 and verse 14, Remember Tobiah and Samballot. These are not good guys. But, oh my God, remember them according to the things that they have done and the things that they are doing. Okay. So remember them. Notice in chapter uh, 6 and um, verse number 9, they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen our hands. The opposition thought, that as they rebuilt the walls, that their constant taunting, their constant mocking would discourage them from um, rebuilding the walls. Evidently, it had, it had worked on other efforts, but it was not going to work on Nehemiah and his crew. If you look at chapter 9, 
beginning in verse 5 and 6, there's a, there's a huge prayer offered uh, in that chapter. And then, if you'll notice, all the way over in chapter 13, several references to prayer, but notice how the book ends uh, by Nehemiah saying, Remember me, O my God, for good. The last statement in Nehemiah is a very short prayer. Remember me, O my God, for good. So the book opens with prayer, and the book closes with prayer. And that's because Nehemiah is a man of faith. A man of faith. He really did depend on the Lord. It wasn't just talk with him. Everything that he did, every decision he made, every time there was opposition, he would go to God in prayer. Notice his statement of faith here in Nehemiah 2 verse 20. He says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So he's a man who cared. He's also a great man of faith. And then, noticing this man who's praying here, Nehemiah, notice how humble he is. He was a man of humility. I mark this in my Bible. How often he uses the word servant in his prayer. Notice in verse 6, Nehemiah 1 verse 6 in his prayer. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Okay. Uh, can you find other places? Notice verse uh, 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your service, servants who delight who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah had a position that others would love to have right next to the king. But that was not what was in his heart. In his heart he was a servant of God. So I wanted us to see the man who is leading us in this prayer here. He is a man who truly cared. A man of faith, no doubt. And also a man who was very humble before God. Let's give our attention uh, now to the prayer itself. And then we'll try to uh, get different responses. Notice that the prayer is a prayer of praise. A, a prayer of praise to God. He is praising God because of His greatness. Notice it here in verses uh, 4 and 5. He says, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then notice he begins his prayer, O Lord God of heaven. A very familiar phrase if you read in these areas of the Bible. If you go back to the book of Ezra, chapter 1, you'll notice that chapter 1, verse 2, has Cyrus the king, the king of Persia, Cyrus the king of Persia, uh, speaking about the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all these kingdoms uh, of the earth. Okay. If you notice in again in Nehemiah 2 and um, verse 20, he says, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And I'm telling you, you can go to Daniel and his statements in Daniel 2, like 
like in Daniel 2, verse 44, speaking of the kingdom that would be set up, that would never be destroyed. He said it's the God of heaven who's going to do that. You you can just run all over uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and find this phrase being used again and again. He begins his prayer by saying, God, you know, we know you are the Lord God of heaven. It's similar to how Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers in Matthew 6 and verse 9. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The heathen gods were but idols upon the earth. That's all they were. They were made-up gods who were not real. But Nehemiah prayed and served the Lord God of heaven. A tremendous contrast. The living God of heaven. And so notice how he praises the Lord. And then also notice he praises uh, the Lord by referring to him. Again, going back down to verses 4 and 5. He praises him as the great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. How, how long do you... How long do you pray, but then how long do you take in just simply telling God all that you think, praising Him in your prayers? That in itself could take a long time. So He's praising the Lord, the great and awesome God. Now, notice how Nehemiah uses this here in chapter 4. Flip over quickly uh, to chapter 4. As Nehemiah is helping his people as they are working on the wall and facing this opposition, he says in Nehemiah 4 and verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I looked and I rose and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. So he's praising him because he's the great and awesome God. Focus a minute on that word great. That word great. At the beginning of the book, you'll see that the explanation when, when Jeremiah asked, what's the condition back home? They said, they say in verse, uh, what is this, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the people there are in great trouble. They're in great affliction. Okay. How do you stand against great affliction? Well, notice here in chapter 1, verse 10, Nehemiah refers to the great power of God. The great power of God. Right. Notice in chapter 6, in verse 3, that Nehemiah says to his opposition, we are doing a great work. Chapter 6, verse 3. So yeah, there's great affliction, but there's also the great power of God, and there is the great work of God. Okay. If you go all the way over to uh, chapter 9, you'll notice in verse 35, that they speak of God's great goodness. His great goodness. If you look also at chapter 9, verse 32, they will refer to 
our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Then notice chapter 9, verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, O Lord, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So notice the greatness of God. Notice, yes, they were in great affliction. But to meet that, there is the great power of God. There is the great mercies of God. There is the great goodness of God. And so God indeed uh, is great. We serve a God who is big enough to meet every challenge in life and to help us to thrive and be who we ought to be in the midst of any conflict or in the midst of any challenge that there might be. So he praises the Lord for being the God of heaven. He praises the Lord for being the great and awesome and powerful God uh, that he is. And he praises God, praises God because he keeps covenant. That is, he keeps his word. He's always faithful. Better than any human being could possibly be, God is perfectly faithful in keeping his word. He praises him. So it's a prayer of praise. Okay. Quickly look at, uh, again, Nehemiah 1 and notice uh, it's also a prayer of confession. Confession. You notice that when we were reading it here in, um, in chapter uh, 1 verse 6. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my fathers have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments of your servant uh, Moses. It's a, again, we learn that a, right in the middle of our prayers ought to be a time for confessing our weaknesses, confessing our sins. Okay. Now, a lot of the reasons that they're in exile now is because of past idolatry of... Nehemiah's ancestors. But notice here, he doesn't take off and blame everybody else for the troubles that he's in, but rather he looks within himself. He looks within his own household and he confesses his own sin. And so it's a, it's a prayer not only of praise to God, but also a prayer of confessing to God. And, and one other thought about this prayer it's a, it's a prayer of great confidence. This is what we're looking for. This is, uh, this is, we want to make the connection to God by being His children, by obeying Him, serving Him. But as we pray, we want to have that confidence. And we see here Nehemiah has confidence in the power of God. He has confidence that God's going to raise up other people. Nehemiah can't do this by himself. He keeps referring to himself as servant, but also remember your other servants. Nehemiah is, in his mind, he is going to gather a crew of people. And they're going to work together in unison, which is what they did. So he has confidence God's going to raise up people of faith all around him as well. And he has confidence, and this is interesting, here in chapter 1, uh, right, right down there in verse 11. He, he says, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. In other words, give me mercy, Lord, as I go talk to the king here, Artaxerxes. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to get to Jerusalem and help. I've got to obtain permission. I've got to get some supplies together. I've got a lot to do. But first of all, it starts with this conversation I'm going to have with this man. Grant that I will find mercy in the sight of this man. He has great confidence in this. So we see the type of man that he is. We also see the type of prayer uh, that he prays. Now what is your reaction to uh, Nehemiah here? Uh, The conditions that we find here. And also uh, the prayer itself. So I welcome you to talk about this just for a few minutes. If we've been reading through this and commenting on it, what, what thoughts come to your mind? They had a mind to work, for one thing. Well, they did. They did. What verse is that? Did you find that verse? You need to go find that verse. But it does state in the book of Nehemiah, they had a mind to work. Don't just bring up verses. You need to know where it's at. Okay. <laughs> Andrew is saying that uh, with Nehemiah's prayer, it's not just about the walls, but he understands the, the reason, the cause of their uh, predicament, and it is sin and the need for repentance and the need to get, to get back to obeying the law, the statutes, the rules uh, that they were given. And so uh, Nehemiah is deeply spiritual uh, man, and that would be great advice uh, for us as we serve and we pray to remember the cause of a problem. Chapter 4, verse 6. Very good. Very good. And Mike is so right here. Uh, Nehemiah, in his prayer, has a mind to work. It was not going to be a prayer uh, that you would find somebody else to get the work done. It was going to be, I'm going to go, and I believe that you will raise up other people to go. And we're, we have a mind uh, to work. This, this uh, scenario here in chapter 1 is a tremendous summary that pulls in all the different aspects of living for God. Very good. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. And where is it said in Nehemiah that it took them 52 days to, to, uh, to finish the wall? 52 52 days? Okay, chapter 6 and verse 15, Brother Mark says. Chapter 6, verse 15 says, They finished the work in 52 days. What could not have, what wasn't being accomplished in several years, they got in there. Surely God blessed them. This prayer uh, led to that great effort. Very good. 
what other responses do you have toward prayer as it's presented here in Nehemiah? Okay, brother. Larry's saying he's struck with how uh, intimate Nehemiah seems to be with God, how personal uh, he is, uh, carrying on a conversation, uh, certainly respecting the Lord, but also pleading with the Lord to hear this prayer, that he realizes how important what he is talking about, how important it really is. And he is ready. It's almost like he's... Um, he's um, Repeating the words in a sense of, of Isaiah 6, verse 8. Here am I, Lord, send me. Uh, I see this need. I'm ready to try to help fulfill this need, but I need uh, to pray to you first. He prays first, and then he sets about to try to get the work done. Uh, sometimes we get that backwards. We go about, get involved in this work, and then we ask the Lord to bless the work. But we need to start up front with God and ask His blessing uh, on anything we try to do for Him. Larry's so right also how Nehemiah continuously said, uh, remember what you said, Lord. Remember what you said. Notice this in verses 8 and 9 of the prayer. Um, yeah. Remember the word, Lord that you commanded your servant Moses, do you ever remind the Lord what he has said? And then he refers to some of these words. Uh, God had said many times, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is what he did. But also God would further say, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed, yet I will gather you from wherever and bring you back uh, to me. A good parallel there would be Deuteronomy 4, 25 through 30, where that's one of the places where Moses uh, brings that word to his people as he's speaking to that generation who was going into the promised land. Again, remember these words. If you're faithful, it's good with the Lord. But if you begin to serve other gods, you will be scattered 
But beyond that, even after you're scattered, if you humble yourself, repent, come back, that I'm ready, I'm a merciful God, I'm a gracious God, I'm ready to receive you home. And that's the basis of Nehemiah's confession, because he knows that about God. And that's his, that he's making his case to God, that Lord, you have said this, so therefore I'm coming to you with this. So I, I, I appreciate it. And in fact, one of the things we, we could do tonight, we're just not going to take the time to do, but I invite you to do it, is to look up the word remember and follow it out in Nehemiah. It's used again and again and again. Remember, Lord. Remember, Lord. So it's, it's very acceptable for us to talk to the Lord in that way. Okay. okay. What other um, response might you have? Absolutely, God. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Miss Susan's saying that this reminds her of how, how much God is a God of hope, and how that it, no matter what kind of mess you get yourself in, that there's always a way out if you, if any of us are willing to repent and humble ourselves and, and go back and learn what God would have us to be, and then turn to Him. Then He always extends that hope. Uh, to us. And even, Susan was saying, even with these folks, you know, you don't get much lower than going to serve an idol. You're serving idols. Okay? And so, but yet there was still hope. Even after seeing all the incredible works of God coming out of Egypt, coming across the Red Sea, Serving idols creates very vile worship, very degrading to human humanity. Um, but yet, still, God's willingness to, to receive. Okay. So thank you. There's so much more um, in this great chapter, in this great book about uh, prayer. And, um, but I thank you for being in class and being part of this. We'll take about three or four minute break here and have our devotional.